Man, wasn't that great? Isn't that a good song? I'm looking forward to tonight. If that's just a little taste of some of that, oh my, my, my. Thank you so much, choir, for that. Uh, the birth of Jesus does indicate and point us to that he is forevermore our Lord and Savior. Thank you so much, Betsy, Jonathan. Thank you guys for that so much. I appreciate it. Well, why was, why was Jesus, or the Lord of glory, laid in a manger? Anybody have the answer to that? If you have your Bibles with you today, if you'll turn into Luke chapter 2, you can either turn them on or open them up, whichever you have this morning. And by the way, no checking www.claws.com in the message. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there, Randy, because I know what it's going to say for me. I'm not even going to do it, you know. So anyway, that's, that's good. I haven't heard about that. So anyway, so why was the Lord of glory, the Lord they just sang about, why was he laid in a manger? And we're going to try to answer that question today. Uh and uh, I, I want to kind of uh, walk you through all the things that I see out of this passage of Scripture. We're going to read a very familiar passage for you. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1 uh, and then for through 7. And then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about that. So if you'll join me as I read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place. I love this. This first registration took place. This is all with the hand of God involved. But let's go on. While Quirinius was governing Syria. Verse 3. So everyone went to be registered each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this time and your word. And Lord, may it speak to our hearts once again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every time this year, uh, every year I should say, at this time, we hear this passage read over and over and over again. In fact, in our home on the Christmas Eve, the tradition was is that we read Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. We read this Christmas story. And uh, so it's something that we've dealt with uh, all our lives if you've been in church. And it's a, a, a passage that helps us understand the beginning of our Lord's life here on earth. Now, surrounding this story of Christmas... There's a, a number of different miracles that took place. And there was the angelic miracles. You remember in chapter 1 
where the uh, a Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, appeared to Zechariah, and he said, "Hey, you're going to have a son." I'm paraphrasing. Go back and check me out. I'm not making it up. Uh, and he said, "You're going to have a son," and he said, uh, "His name is be John. That's John the Baptist." And he said, "But my wife is sort of older in, in age, and she had not conceived and had a child." And the Lord said, "Hey, you're going to have a son." Now, just as a side note to that story, Zechariah doubted the angel's word, and because of that doubt, he was silent until John was born. That ought to tell you something about doubting the word of God. When you hear the word of God, yes, sir. Or as Mary said, when Gabriel appeared to her, Guess what, Mary? You are favored by God. You are the virgin who was spoken about in prophecy. You're going to bear the Son of God. And Mary said in response, Your will be done, basically, is what she said. May your will be done. Man, I believe that's what God's wanting to hear from all of us. Every day of our lives when we get up and we surrender our heart today to Him. Uh, when I, whenever I pray every day after I finish my quiet time, I say, Lord, I surrender my life to You today. Your will be done. Whatever that is. I don't know what it is often. I don't know what His will is for me to, that day. I have a plan. I have a schedule. I know of things that I'm going to do. But He has the right to interrupt that goal and interrupt that day. And so whenever I surrender it, it's His will be done. Boy, Mary did that. And uh, oh, how God blessed in that regard. So that was a miracle that's taking place here. Then we see often also, uh, not only was it a miracle that the angel said, Hey, Mary, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. But she conceived as a virgin. Uh, again, a, a miracle that has not was not rep, uh, done before, has not been done since. There's no need. It was a one-time event. She was that one person that God chose out of all humanity for that to take place. That's miraculous, my friends. And then later on, we see the miracle of the angel again appearing to the shepherds. Oh, I love that story. We won't have time to preach that today. That's one of my favorite parts of the whole Christmas story is the shepherds. But it was a miracle that the angel said to the shepherds first. By the way, the Son of God has been born in Bethlehem. Then we see in this story surrounding Christmas not only the miracles that we read about in chapter 1, and in Matthew, the same story. Matthew and Luke are similar in their descriptions of the story of the birth of Jesus. And, and But here in Luke, we hear a lot about John the Baptist as well. The miracle that he was going to... And it says in chapter 1, there he says that uh, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Now that's important. Because later on, when Mary finds out she is going to be the uh, mother of Jesus, 
when she ran to her uh, relative, Elizabeth, to tell her the news, she walked in and spoke and uh, Elizabeth mentioned or said in Scripture, you can go back and read it, said that uh, the moment I heard the voice of the mother uh, uh, who will bear our Savior and Lord, uh, the baby inside of me jumped. In other words, the Holy, the Spirit's connected. John, in the womb, realized who it was that was coming in. And the miraculous thing that was going to take place, the split second timing of all of this is a miraculous to me. Uh, here, before this, and we see this in Matthew as well, the Lord had been silent for 400 years. There had been no word from the Lord. And then all of a sudden, Gabriel is, hey, I got a job for you, Gabriel. Go down there and let him know what's about to take place. And he began to speak. Aren't you glad that he did? Aren't you glad that he still speaks? See, this is yes. And this is, you know, I'm known all over our association. People say, they walk up to me and say, hey, Terry, how you doing? God spoke, and boy, when he spoke, he spoke in supernatural terms. He told us about the miraculous thing. We see the prophecy being fulfilled. We go back to Isaiah, and we see chapter 53 uh, telling us about his life and about what's going to take place. Oh, folks, all of this is not done by happenstance. It's not by coincidence. It's right on time. This all occurred exactly how and when the Lord God Almighty designed it to happen for us. Man, when I think about this story every year, I'm, and I hear the music of this time every year, I'm, I'm reminded of how blessed I am. How wonderfully blessed I am. If I had nothing in this world, and I don't have much, but if I had nothing in this world and I had Jesus as my Savior, that would be enough. Always that would be enough. And I read this story and I, I hear this, you know, the, the story is so interesting to me that Caesar Augustus decided, you know what, I think I'm going to have a census. I think I'm going to register everybody in my whole kingdom, my whole empire... Uh, for his sake, he was going to do so so that he could get more taxes from everyone. But he he had the idea to do that. God put it on his mind whether he knows it or not, I believe. Okay? Now, the Bible doesn't say that God did that. I'm just thinking, knowing the story and knowing my Lord and knowing his timing on everything. Hey, Caesar, got an idea for you. Let's go ahead and register everybody. And by the way, this registration was for the men uh, only. However, families had to go and follow and go back to their uh, tribal homes. And Joseph was of the line and lineage of... Mary was of the line and lineage of David. So that, uh, by the way, if you go back to the genealogies in Scripture, you'll see that Jesus came through that line, through the line of David. And so, oh my goodness, we've got to go back to there and, and back just in enough time to where the Son of God would be born in Bethlehem as been, as was prophesied in Scripture right on time. Just so happens they had to be there. 
they had no choice. And God used Caesar in order to accomplish His will for whole humanity by getting Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at just the right moment. There's amazing split-second timing. Godly split-second timing in all of this. And the Scripture bears that out. And, and He says... Uh, there to be registered to, uh, with Mary. Uh, uh, so, and one of the reasons that Mary went, of course, it was God's will. Obviously, we know that. But Joseph, being the kind of man that he is, the godly, caring kind of man, he wanted to be around his wife when baby was born. Well, I did too. When when our babies were born, I wanted to be right there in it. Well, not in it. I was outside in the waiting room, but nonetheless, I was there. And I didn't want to be anywhere else in all the world but right there when our children were born. And Joseph was no different. He wanted to be there. And then she says, then verse verse 7 comes. And I'm always amazed a lot of times with verse 7. And I'll tell you why. Because we, we see all of this unpacked, all of this revealed to us. And we don't have time to go back and, 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 and cite every passage of Scripture. But in verse 7 he says, Then she gave birth to her firstborn. You know what that tells me? They had some more children. Joseph and Mary had some more children. But this one, Joseph being chosen, by the way, to be the Lord's earthly father. You imagine that deal, dads. You are, by the way, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him not to fear. Uh, don't fear, Joseph, because what's in Mary is of God. You have the privilege of being the earthly father of the Savior. Wow. Man, so Joseph was an awesome, awesome, awesome man of God and so uh, he wraps they they had other children along and there's a whole lot of other things I could say but let's go on he said and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them so why was Jesus the savior of the world God who confined himself in human form why in the world would God be laid in a, in a manger? Now we know what a manger is. It is a feeding trough. It's a good place to, to uh, have animals come and feed, but I ne- wouldn't necessarily put a baby in it. And yet, that's what he did. So, Why was the Lord of glory laid there? Well, I think, first of all, because of alienation. I believe He was laid there. Plainly, it tells us in that verse 7 that there was no room for Him in the inn, and depending on what translation you have. uh, And let me tell you what an inn was during that time. It wasn't like a Holiday Inn or La Quinta or a Sheraton or a Hilton Hotel. You did not have your own bedroom or, you know, you just had a spot somewhere to lay down and get out of the elements. Basically is what you had. Now, there was no room for him there. Why? Typically, there probably would have been. But not right now. 
Because they were all full up. Why? Because people from all over the that area, that region had to come, be registered for a census or registration so that they could be taxed. But not only that, they were full and, uh, and there was no room for them because they were all filled up there. And Joseph and Mary, not known to them at this point, were going to give birth to their son, the Savior, in a manger which was in an animal stall. And no one knew it. And, and so, therefore, there could not have been any room anywhere in Bethlehem except for right there in that stall for our Savior to be born. And so, basically, the story is there's a one of our pastors, former pastors here in our association, uh, did a monologue once one Christmas here in the last two or three years. I went to be a part of that. And... and he, he told the story from the perspective of the innkeeper. And basically he did an amazing job with it. But basically what happens is Joseph knocks on the door and says, Hey, my wife's pregnant. I need a place to stay. Sorry, got no room. Close the door. And they were alienated from everyone else and placed in a stall. I find it interesting that when God decided to send His Son to redeem the world, the world rejected Him. Rejected Him before He was ever born. It started there in Bethlehem. And uh, He was laid in that manger because He was alienated from us all. And over the preceding, or excuse me, the succeeding years since that time, Jesus is still being rejected. But listen to me. Listen to me. The rejection of the world of our Savior oftentimes has meant that doors have been opened for all the rest of us. Remember what Jesus said? He came first for His own people. So the Bible says. He came to to seek and to save his own folks. And those who re- accepted him, praise God, were blessed. But those who rejected him caused the Lord to say, Okay, I'm not only going to come to you, but I'm going to come to everyone else. All the Gentiles and everybody else, which includes us. If you ever want to say amen in church, that's a really good place to do that. It really is. My goodness, had that not occurred, you and I might not be sitting here this morning. Enjoying what the Lord has done for us. Oh, they're still doing it, however, today. Well, how do you reject God? Well, I could sit, stand up here and uh, quote a lot of different stats to you. Uh, just this week, saw on uh, a news uh, spot on blog on my phone. I, it was a story uh, how people are trying to take Jesus out of Christian. You know, every year we see this and hear this all the time. In schools and government places and all that kind of stuff. There was one principle somewhere in our country. And I don't remember where it was. But one principle in our country banned candy canes in his school. Here's why. Because they were in the form of a J. And if turned just right, they could represent Jesus. 
Turned the other way, they could represent a king, couldn't they? Well, (laughs) I share that with you to show the silliness of our culture trying to do something they've never been able to do and think they have. Remember, the Pharisees thought they got rid of Jesus when they killed him. Well, he showed them something different three days later. He came back alive. Listen, you can't take Jesus out of Christmas. I don't care how hard you try. So for those of us who know Him as our Lord and Savior, revel in the fact that He is in Christmas. Don't be ashamed of it. Tell the world about what Christmas really means. It means Jesus was born. Our Savior came to the earth to sacrifice for you and I, to go to the cross for you and I, to provide salvation for you and I, eternal life for you and I. Oh man, I'm glad Christmas took place. Because Easter's coming. So don't let them take it out of your heart and out of your life. They're still trying to do it today. But in their efforts, I believe more are going to find Him. Than not. So, the question I have for you have you or are you alienating Jesus today? Does he have first place in your heart? Uh, are you afraid to talk to the world about him? If so, folks, today you need to change that. You need to come back to the Lord, recommit your heart and life. And stop alienating Him in your life. And for those of you who know Him as your Lord and Savior, there's no way in the world you can't not know that. You'll be a miserable person. Let it go. Speak up. Fire them up. There's a guy my lump at the school. I got a degree from Liberty University. One, uh, the football announcer at football games. He says uh, whenever they make a, a, a touchdown... I love the way he, he says this. He says, they make a touchdown and he says, light them up. I don't know why he says that. Maybe it's the Liberty Flames, you know, maybe that's what it is. He wants to light them up more. I, I don't know what it is, but he gets so excited. When they score a touchdown, he says, light them up. Well, I, I, want, I want to say to you today, stop alienating our Lord from the culture like Him up to the world in which we live. They need to be lit. You understand what I'm saying, right? And you got it. You have it in the form of a relationship with the one born on Christmas. He's changed our lives, lit our lives up, let us light others up. He was laid in that manger not only because of alienation, but because of association. Hmm. Don't miss this. Jesus allowed himself to be laid in a feeding trough. That's a key word in this. Jesus allowed himself to leave glory and descend and become uh, in human form. In other words, the creator became the creation uh, just for a little while uh, for a purpose Uh, He allowed himself to be born that way. He allowed himself... 
to grow up and experience all the pains and issues that we have. He allowed himself to be falsely accused. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross. He allowed himself to be beaten and spat upon. He allowed all of that to take place. He allowed himself to assume all our sin for all time, once and for all, sacrifice, sacrificial lamb for us. He allowed himself to experience all of that, starting with a manger, because of you and me. Because he loved us that much. Aren't you blown away by that? Well, I am. There's no fact about our Lord any more powerful to me than that. He allowed himself, he asso- and when he did, he associated himself with us. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, he knows our needs. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich for your sake, he became poor so that by his poverty you might become writ. Thank you, brother. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate that. That's exactly right. He forsook all the riches of glory to endure our poverty so that we would not have to, so that we may have all of glory. Man, that's another good place to say amen. Paul got it right. He associated himself with us in our poverty. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, whenever one of the followers that were following him around said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. I want to be one of yours. And I love what Jesus did, not only in Matthew chapter 8, but he did so in John and some other places. He said, listen, you say you want to follow me. Okay, well, let me, let me just let you know what that means. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, he said, Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Listen, when he came, he identified with us all the way. He said, you want to follow me, get ready. It's going to be a difficult, but yet ultimately rewarding ride. And then uh, uh, because of that, though, he did say, as Paul indicated in Philippians chapter 4, don't worry, I got you. The Lord that was laid in there, he associated with us in our poverty. And he said this, he said in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19, he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Who And all God's people said, you're getting it, that's pretty good. Oh my goodness. Even in our poverty, he tells us, don't you worry about it. Oh, I'll take care of all your needs. And it'll come from not Walmart, but glory. (laughs) And that's better than anything this world could put together. He also identified with our problems. He knows our struggles. Uh, If you remember the story in Isaiah 53, and it's a a long one there, and I won't have time to tell you all of it, but in, in Psalm 53, he was prophesying about what Jesus was going to go through. He said he was despised and rejected by man. Verse 3 says, a man suffering knew, no, knew what sickness was. He was like one turned away for he was despised and we didn't value him. Boy, wasn't that the case? We see that played out before us um, on the in the trial and the crucifixion and the 
cross, we see all that played out. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 said this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Whew. Remember when Jesus was baptized, beginning his earthly ministry? You remember that story? Immediately from that, he was taken by Satan for 40 days, and he was tempted in every way. And at the end of it, he couldn't tempt him to, to sin. And, and uh, Jesus said, listen, it's not good for you to tempt the Son of God. And he, that's what Paul, the author was referred to there. He, without sin, he goes on to say, Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Listen, he knows our problems. How many here have ever had a problem you thought no one else ever in the world had? Oh, come on now. How many times? Have, Lord, Lord, you don't understand. Oh, yes, he does understand. He understands better than you think he understands. Because he endured what we, none of us could have endured. He endured that temptation in that wilderness there for 40 days. Didn't have anything to eat or drink for 40 days. Oh my goodness, he understands our problems. And there's not a problem we have that he can't identify with. That's why he was laid in that manger. So that he, we would know that he knows exactly what I'm going through. Therefore, he can guide me through that all the way. You know, listen, we shouldn't pray that God would take the fires away of our lives. We should pray that He stays with us in the fires. You just go to Daniel chapter 3 and you'll see that played out. And then He has identified with our priorities. You know, the Lord detested pomp and circumstance, didn't He? He didn't have anything to do with that. He was not all, he was not about pursuing wealth or greed or anything else like that. He had his priorities right. When asked several times, Jesus said, why, when I came to do the will of my Father, I don't do anything, say anything, or go anywhere that the Father hasn't told me to say, do, or go. Wow. Wouldn't that be cool if God's people could say the same thing? Wouldn't that be cool? Just agree with it. Humor me a little bit, okay? Say, yeah. Well, that sounds good, Terry. Well, it's the truth. When one surrenders our will to his, we've got the priority right. Listen, priority in my life is this. God first, her second, and my my children and my grandbabies too. Then this great privilege, the job that I have to serve the Lord, that comes after all those two. He is always first. And then you, you might stand here and say, Amen to me, preacher. That's right. That's the way it ought to be. But on Monday morning, is he still priority one? What takes more of your time? What, what is, let me compare it this way. I can tell whether our priority or my priorities are correct if this is true. And I'll just use a modern day illustration. How, how many of you have an, a cell phone? How many have it on, have it right now? Is it on silence? Good. I hope so. I see people walking around like this. There's a new syndrome. People walk around this. 
And, and you walk into a room where there were there were adults, the millennial children, whatever. You can't walk in there and everybody. I've seen people in the same room texting each other instead of talking to each other. That phone, you know where my phone is? Is out in the truck. I don't bring it in church with me. I'm telling you, folks, we've got our priorities out of whack. If a phone can have more priority in me than the ones in the same room with me or my relations or the Lord especially, we're messed up. God should come first every day of my life. When I wake up, uh, when I before I roll out of the bed, I say, Hey, Lord, this is your day. Now make it what you want. Then my feet hit the ground. I go and clean up and go into my office and, and I begin my quiet time. I don't turn my phone on until I finish my quiet time. Because He's number one. Jesus was laid in that so that He could associate with our poverty, our problems, and show us what our priorities are. And then He was laid in that because of accessibility. Oh my goodness. Imagine, whether, imagine Jesus being born in Herod's palace. You imagine that? What if Jesus had been born in his palace? What if he had had guards around him? What if he had been laid in a golden crib? Uh, do you think people would feel uh, like they could have access to him? Absolutely not. But no, Jesus was lay, laid in a manger so that the shepherds would feel comfortable coming and, and bowing down to him. You realize that a shepherd would not be welcomed in Herod's palace. The shepherds had the worst job just about in the whole culture at that time. They were dirty, nasty animals and shepherds were the low of the low uh, as far as jobs were concerned in that culture. They were not welcome in places of importance and priority. And Jesus, I believe, was laid in that manger so that not only the shepherds would feel uh, uh, comfortable coming and bowing down. And I think it's also just interesting that he chose not to let the Pharisees know, not to let all the kings know, but let the shepherds know first what took place in Bethlehem. Oh, I, I, I still may preach about the shepherds today. I don't know. And then later on, we see also that the wise men they came and they also felt comfortable coming and bowing down before him. He was he did that so that I believe so that we could all have access to him. What did he say in John three sixteen? He said, For God loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believed in him could have eternal life. He was Born this way so that anyone who came to Him, anyone who would come to Him, would have eternal life and would feel comfortable doing so. I love what uh, John chapter 6 verse 37 says. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. You, re you, re you, you uh, those shepherds, they came to Him. And those shepherds had just as much access to glory as did the high priest or the king or anyone else. Listen, folks. The Bible says you too have access. That's why He was laid there. 
so that you can come and take it. Then finally, he was laid in that manger because it was an announcement. You know, I don't typically like announcements in a worship service. They take away from what we're there for. But we've got to have something like a necessary evil, I think, sometimes. But this moment, he was laid in a manger. And I think what Mary was doing, she was drawing a picture far greater than she ever imagined by laying him in that manger. Uh, She was, for us, making a vivid picture because Jesus, first of all, was born in the town of Bethlehem. Now, you know what Bethlehem is, what it means. The word means, listen to this, house of bread. Oh, this is going to get good. Bethlehem means house of bread. And he was born there. How appropriate is it then that the one who was born in the bread of house, excuse me, house of bread, (laughs) bread of house, house of bread, would feed multitudes of people, both physically and spiritually. Uh, Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. In fact, if you'll indulge me, he says in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 32, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. That's what Jesus did. He came down from glory and gave you and I life everlasting. Look what he says. He goes on to say, I am, in verse 35, the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. And he, then he says that verse, verse 37, everyone who comes to me, everyone who comes to me, I will never cast them out. <laughs> it was almost as if when Mary laid him in there, she's saying, the bread of life. Is being served. In fact, it's as if she was saying, Dinner is served. Come and feed. The bread of life was laid in a manger so that he could, we could have access to him, that we could have association with him. That, that he would no longer be alienated from the world, but rather he announced that night, I'm here for you and for me. Why don't you come and eat this bread that will change your life forever? I'm saying to you today, Jesus was laid in a manger for you and for me to help settle all the matters and problems we have in our lives. He's there for you. He's a gift for you. You can come, no matter who you are, 
where you're from, what language you speak, what color your skin, how old or young, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. You can come to the Savior who was born in a feeding trough and said, hey, all who come, I will not cast out. Now my question to you today, have you partaken of this meal? Have you invited Jesus into your heart and into your life? If you have, are you enjoying the presence of the bread of life in your life? Is it filling your heart and soul? If it's not, then there's a problem you have. There's some maybe unconfessed sin in your life. Maybe there's a relationship not right that you're going to have to get fixed. And he's saying to you today, do all that by surrendering to me and confessing your sin and coming and returning back to me. We're going to have an invitation song here in just a moment. And as we do, if God has spoken to your life and you've never come and never accepted Jesus, you've never walked this aisle, you've never committed your heart, you come. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. Maybe you need to come and do a little business with the Lord at the altar. Maybe there's relationships in your life you don't have right. And you know they're not right. Take it upon yourself to make them right by first confessing your sin and committing to the Lord to do whatever He leads you to do. And then maybe you're looking for a good church home. i got a suggestion for you right here. Keshia Baptist Church. You come as we sing. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Close your eyes. I'm word of prayer and then we'll begin our time of commitment. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around, please. Father, I come before you this morning thanking you for allowing yourself to be placed in that manger where we all can have access to it. Now, Lord, I pray that there be one person here in this room who has unconfessed sin in his or her life or they have realized that he or she has has not ever accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, Lord, that you would give them the courage today to step out and come and make that decision. Maybe there's someone here, Father, who knows they are a believer, but they are far from you because of sin they've allowed in their lives. Lord, I pray they will come and confess and get that right and reestablish their relationship with you, Father. Lord, whatever the, the matters are, Lord, I pray that you will give courage across this room to move, step out, and come and follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jonathan, what are we going to sing as we come? Uh, 143, it should also be on the screen, Infant Holy, Infant Lowly. As we sing, you come if God's uh, convicted your heart.